to spice. <laughs> Did you all have a good Christmas? I had an awesome Christmas. One of the highlights of my Christmas this year, um, I've been a member here at Hillside for over 25 years, but only for the second time was I able to attend the Christmas Eve candlelight service. And I tell you what, that was a highlight of my season. It, it just blessed me no end. What a rich, rich tradition that is. I was comparing it in my head to some of the other weird traditions that we have at Christmas. We don't have our tree down yet. How many have their tree all down, put away? Probably the, okay, I really feel bad now. (laughs) I was thinking of the weird tradition of um, how at Christmas time only do I sit in front of a dead tree and think it's really cool, (laughs) so much so that I didn't want to take it down yet. And I eat candy out of socks. Only at Christmas, right? Do we sit by a dead tree and eat candy out of socks? (laughs) How much richer is that Christmas Eve service? I'm so glad I got to go. Did everyone do the homework that I assigned when we were at the Christmas brunch? I asked you to please read Luke 1 through 3 and then dive into your lesson and come with it done today. Perceiving that a few of you didn't have time to do that, I'm going to just hit a few of the highlights from Luke 1 to 3 to give us that foundation of our passage today. We saw in Luke chapter 1 that there were different results for those who doubted and those who believed. Zechariah received good news of great joy from an angel that his wife, at, in her later years, would be, have a baby, and he doubted. He said, how Will this be so? He didn't believe, interestingly, even though it's revealed to us in verse 13 that he prayed for it. The angel came and he said, we've heard your prayers. But he didn't believe. And yet, God was true to his word. A baby did come to his wife Elizabeth, miraculously, in her old age. God was true to his word. But Zechariah did not have a voice for nine months. Apparently, God couldn't trust him with an audience of one even, let alone with the multitudes. And so his ability to communicate was taken away for a time. Has God ever silenced you for a time? Have you ever had laryngitis where you literally were silenced? God has silenced me for a time. When he does that, he always has a purpose, a loving purpose for his children. Mary, though, on the other hand, also received good news from an angel, Gabriel. She also asked a question. She says, how can this be since I am a virgin? But unlike Zechariah, Mary believed, right? She just wanted to know how God was going to pull it off. That's what her question was. It wasn't, how will I know this is the truth, but how is God going to carry out this truth since I'm a virgin? And, of course, the angel says to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born holy, and he will be called the Son of God. Now, the angel mentions to Mary that her relative Elizabeth also 
in her old age has already conceived a son, which brings me to our memory verse. How many of you, besides Ginny Hayes, noticed that we didn't have a memory verse in our packet? Oh, a few, a few. Okay, well, I forgot. I forgot to put the memory verse in our packet, but you guys are going to love our memory verse. It is the shortest memory verse we've ever had. All of us will know it by the end. Luke 1.37, this is the angel's words about, to Mary about Elizabeth's pregnancy. For nothing will be impossible with God. Is that the best verse to have in our heads, right? Luke 1.37, very easy to memorize with our brains. A bit harder to believe with our hearts, right? in the midst of our own impossible circumstances. But you know what? Impossibility is God's specialty. It is. And repetition of God's word aloud actually helps us believe. Romans 10, 17 says, So faith comes by what is heard, and what is heard comes through the word of Christ. Faith comes by what is heard. So we're going to hear this a lot. And we're going to start with today. Let's say it together out loud. For nothing will be impossible with God. Luke 1, 37. To the extent that we believe that, that nothing will be impossible to God, perhaps we too, it is my belief that we too will be given a voice with a greater audience perhaps, to share our faith in both word and in deed, that nothing will be impossible with God. As believers in Jesus, we don't deny facts. We just believe in truths that are higher than the facts. This is not merely positive thinking. It is biblical optimism. And I believe that the more truth that we believe, the more optimistic we're going to be, and the more hope we're going to have. Now, why is hope important? Well, because our hope level determines our influence level, right? As believers in Jesus, we are called to be light of the world. We are called to have an influence on, our, on the world out there. And our hope level determines our influence level. Let me give you an example. I don't even know if she is. Shirley Pounds here today. Oh, rats. Shirley Pounds are my life walking around example of hope levels influence, um, um, determining our influence level. Many of you know Mike and Shirley Pounds run a ministry called Restore Out of Concord. It is a ministry where they work with addicted adults from very difficult backgrounds. And years ago, Shirley and I, before we knew each other very well, um, had, went, had a cup of coffee together, and I could just sense, I mean, just it was oozing out of her the hope that she has for these addicted adults. Shirley and Mike have to have hope for these addicted adults. If Mike and Shirley tried to influence the people that they didn't even themselves have hope for, then they aren't going to be very effective, right? They must believe that there is hope for these men and women. They, they must speak hope to them 
The, the people must hear hope spoken over them, and they must be introduced to the God of all hope. God's word for those people, too, is for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mike and Shirley believe that. Question. Let's get personal. What is your impossible situation? I know you have one. This is not heaven, is it? (laughs) We all have an impossible situation. Think of yours. Put it in the forefront of your mind right now. And then say aloud with me our memory verse. For nothing will be impossible with God. Luke 1, 37. Getting off drugs is possible with God. A healthy dynamic in my marriage is possible with God. Healing from psychological abuse is possible with God. Healing from any kind of abuse is possible with God. Joy in all circumstances is possible with God. Peace that that passes Anything our brain could possibly understand or even reach for is possible with God. If God wanted us to think small for our lives, why would he give us verses like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? Philippians 4.13. Paul there was referring to what? Financial resources. Did you know that? Why would God, if he wants us to think small for our lives, give us Mark 9, 23, all things can be done for the one who believes. Jesus there was referring to a demon-possessed boy. Why, if God wanted us to think small for our lives, would he say, for mortals, it's impossible, but for God, all things are possible. Matthew 19, 26. In that verse, Jesus is talking about a rich man being able to enter the kingdom of God. And why would he give us our memory verse? Luke 1.37, for all things will be possible with God. Speaking of a miracle pregnancy. So obviously, I've answered the question. God obviously does not want us to think small for our lives. So in Luke chapter 2, Jesus is born. We just celebrated that. John the Baptist is born. They finally meet up. In chapter 3, John baptizes Jesus. A voice from heaven declares Jesus' identity as the beloved expected son. We're going to talk a lot more about identity next week. Jesus is now about 30 years old in our passage today of chapter 4. Verse 1, the Spirit leads him into the wilderness for 40 days. He eats nothing and is tempted. Now, maybe you have the same question as I had, is why would the Spirit lead Jesus into the wilderness where the enemy could tempt him? I don't really like that right off the bat. I like a lot better Psalm 23. He leads me by quiet waters. 
right? Three reasons I was able to research and find out, and one of the, one of the best ones I thought was by Bible teacher John Corson. Three reasons why the Spirit would lead him into the wilderness. Here's the first one. John Corson says, not to do him in, but to show him off. Isn't that good? He's our example, right, of how we are to handle temptation. We are to know the Word of God, and we are to use it. He also shows us that it is possible to resist and triumph over temptation. Second reason, his time in the wilderness, Jesus' time, was part of Jesus' experience as being a full human being. And he had to know fully the very human experience of being tempted. And the third reason is, to undo Adam and Eve's bummer of a choice in the garden, <laughs> right? They were made perfect, and yet they gave into temptation, and then they passed sin to the rest of the human race. So Jesus comes along, and he has to do a contrasting work by resisting Satan when he was tempted to sin. Jesus' victory over sin, and then his sacrificial death on the cross, bought for all of Adam and Eve's descendants, of which we are descendants. He bought for us the opportunity for victory. Romans 5, 19, we studied last year, for just as one man's disobedience, that would be Adam, the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, Jesus, the many will be made righteous. We have to keep in mind and remember that Jesus is fully human as he walked the earth. He is tempted by Satan in verse 4 to provide for himself sustenance, right? And after 40 days of not eating, he definitely, we know, needs to eat, right? But it is not going to be on the devil's terms. And so Jesus quotes God, God's word to the devil aloud. He says, it is written, one does not live by bread alone. Now that is an abbreviated quote, um, presumably to bring the other half to mind. Matthew in his gospel records the same temptation of Jesus, but he gives us the full quote. Jesus says to the enemy in time of temptation, it is written, one does not live by bread alone, but by Every word that comes from the mouth of God, Matthew 4, 44. So wasn't Jesus showing us to how we are to fight temptation? Here's the thing. We have to know God's word to use God's word in temptation, don't we? And we have to not only know God's word, but we have to believe in the power of it, Right? to be able to use it effectively. One of the verses that I memorized when I was in high school, I was actually on a Bible quiz team, a traveling Bible quiz team, um, was a very good one actually for a teenager to know, and that was no temptation, it's um, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man, 
And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, and get this, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. This verse came back to me this past Friday night. On Friday night, I was tempted to lie to my husband. I'm serious. Earlier in the day, I can't, I don't want to go into all the details, but earlier in the day, he had asked me to, very simple request, to text his mom's caregiver and to relay a message, and I had forgotten. Now, Friday night, we're out having date night, and I remember, okay? And I rationalized, for various reasons, um, that I could not tell him the truth, that I didn't want to tell him the truth. I didn't want the consequences of him knowing I had forgotten something. And so I had a plan to lie. So we drive home. He's parking at the car, and I get out of the car, and I let myself in the house. In those 45 seconds that I was alone, I distinctly hear the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit saying, Dale is going to ask you, and I want you to tell the truth. You guys, I kid you not, he walked in the door, and he said, Oh, what did the caregiver say when you called, when you texted today? I tell you, I was so happy that the Holy Spirit whispered to me beforehand. And once again, I, I said, Jesus, you are so real. You are so real. He is so faithful to guide me. His still small voice whispers to me, this is the way I want you to walk in it. For a believer, that still small voice has more power than the enemy can possibly yell or whisper enticingly. If God cares enough about me to whisper that to me, if God cares enough about you to, to talk to you in a still, small voice, in crucial moments, he cares enough also to empower us to just resist the enemy. We can bank on that. Another helpful thing to stop the enemy is, is it good to know, it's good to know his main tactic at least. How he operates. One tactic, his main tactic. Really, it, I think they all fall under this category, and that is lies. Right? Lies produce fear. Jesus identified Satan as the father of lies in John 8, 44. He is the father of lies, and the source of the enemy's power is the lie, deception. Now, there's a problem with deception, and that is, it is so deceptive. <laughs> right? Because we can read scriptures, we can quote scriptures about being more than conquerors, but so often our daily experience doesn't demonstrate it, and that is because we have bought into some lie. Some lie is beneath every temptation. For example, 
One of the huge lies I think that many, many believers buy into is that Satan is equal to God. That is a lie. 1 John 3, 8 says, The Son of God was revealed for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus was sent on a mission to destroy the works of the devil. And when he died on the cross, his last words were, It is finished, meaning our debt is paid in full. Also, I have completed my assignment on earth. It is finished. Included in his finished work was the fulfillment of what Jesus had spoken to his disciples aloud. He said, and this is right prior to his crucifixion, he said, now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And Paul affirms this too. Um, in Colossians 2.15, he, he, he affirms that Jesus is, is the victor. He said he disarmed the, the rulers and authorities, and he made a public example of them, triumphing over them in it. Sounds to me like the ousting of the enemy is complete, was completed. Now, a lot of believers believe that the victory isn't completely won yet, and I understand this because Satan seems so alive and so well. Does he not? That's what he wants us to believe, this father of lies. I found 19 Bible verses that say Jesus has all the power and all the authority. One example, Matthew 28, 18. Jesus has now gone to the cross to win our victory over the enemy He's risen from the dead, and his words to his followers are, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. Ephesians 1, 20, 21. God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead from, um, and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. Take a sigh of relief, Will. Will you with me? If Jesus has all the power, if Jesus has all the authority, how much does the enemy have? Do the math, right? None. So if Jesus has all the authority and all the power, why does it seem like Satan is alive and well? Remember, he's the father of lies. Every time we believe one of his lies, we play into the illusion that he's in power. And that produces, of course, fear, anxiety, even though Jesus, our Lord, says, be anxious for absolutely nothing. You see, Jesus disarmed him, but we turn around and we rearm him when we buy in to his lies. Every time we believe his lies, we play into the illusion that he is a stronger power than our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
And so we must combat the inferior fake power of the enemy's lies with the superior power of the truth. And that is the example that we have before us today in Luke chapter 4. That is exactly what Jesus did. That is how Jesus battled. He battled the enemy's lies by declaring the truth. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 14 to 17, um, Paul lists all this armor of God, right, that we can put on. All of it is very defensive armor, except for one thing, okay? Defensive meaning, you know, there's the helmet of salvation, right, the belt of truth around your waist. There's one thing, one weapon that is offensive. What is it? It's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Not only did Jesus battle the enemy to fight temptation with God's Word, right? Every time he said, it is written. But throughout his life, he also battled every other enemy sense. It was new to me. I was so excited. Think about it. With his words, he stopped storms, demonic storms. With his words, he sent demons hightailing it out of there, out of people. With his words, he provided food for the hungry. With his words, he healed the sick. And with his words, he even raised the dead. Do you remember? Lazarus, come out. All with words. How could we think that we could battle any other way? We have to use our words. Proverbs 18.21 says, Life and death are in the power of the tongue. I'm going to close this morning with a, a, a short testimony of my last two years. It's going to be bullet points, so it's going to be quick. And some of it might just come out really harsh because I'm not going to give you details, but bullet points of my last two years. Tough, tough, worst two years of my life, I'm sure. Oldest daughter addicted to meth. Lost custody of her children. As that was playing out, the anxiety and re resulting sleeplessness caused me to have uh, trouble remembering things, especially little things. Bringing the second major stressor, which was the fear-driven assumption that, I was, that my mind was no longer sound. And I found myself on a bad ground in which I heard words spoken over me daily that stated essentially that I was losing my mind. Three, death and grief. I have attended more memorial services than I can even count in the last two years. I know many of you have too. You've, I'm sure you all know that just over this break that we've had from each other, we've lost two very spice women, Cynthia Klein and Marilyn Owen. But understandably, I'm sure you'll understand that the most intense grief was really over the unexpected death of my father. He, I, I was over there the day before, and he bounded up the stairs, and I thought, what a, what a healthy guy. Next day, he's gone. 
with a lot of difficult circumstances in extended family around my dad's death. And the fourth, and not the least, both Dale's mom and my mom are in different stages of Alzheimer's disease. The cruelest, most awful sickness ever invented by the enemy. And it has been a very difficult road for Dale and I in different ways. Okay, those are the bullet points. With all of this, last winter and spring, I tell you what, I, I think I didn't even realize it, but I was fighting feelings of hopelessness and despair. I totally, my friends know, my closest friends, I was not myself. Part of the problem was that I felt so down that I, I, I had the, I believe the lie that I had to justify feeling that down. And so I began to rehearse all the reasons that I had to be down. How backwards is that? And I believed that this justification of my down feelings was necessary daily. But, but, because of an encouraging exhortation by one of my daughters on Mother's Day, and so May, I stood up and I began to fight back. I battled all these attempts of the enemy to take me down by starting out my day declaring 100 times. I bought myself one of those little clickers, you know, the, the counter clickers that co the guy in Costco uses. I bought myself one of those, and 100 times I started out my day, I would declare over myself God's truth over my life. Not all the stuff that had happened, <laughs> all the bad stuff, but God's truth over my Self, and I wielded a powerful sword of the Spirit, God's Word. I declared things like, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. He has not given me the spirit of fear. He has given me uh, the spirit of a sound mind. Power, love. I declared, I have the mind of Christ. And with regard to my sleep problems, I said, I will both lie down and sleep in peace for you, O oh Lord. <laughs> Make me lie down in safety. I declared our memory verse before I knew it was going to be our memory verse. <laughs> all things, say it with me, all things will be possible with God. Luke 1.37. Let me tell you, it works. By summer, about a month later, not only was my mind completely renewed, but I was in full revival. <laughs> the unreasonable joy, the, the peace that passes all understanding just filled my mind and my body and my soul. And now I can testify to you, not realizing I would be teaching you what I would be teaching you, but I can say to you, I have lived out what I'm teaching you today, what Jesus taught by example. Using our words works. Truth is a powerful, powerful lesson, one that every single one of us can pick up and we can use. My dad used to read us 
stories from the Old Testament. I recently ran across 1 Samuel 17 again, the story of David and Goliath, and I was tickled pink to read that story because something I've never noticed before in that story, Goliath being the terrible enemy of the Lord, David, this little young teenager, they think, David spoke victory out loud before he had victory. He made some powerful declarations. You know what he said? One of them, this is the one that really struck me, I'm going to cut your head off. That's what he said to the giant. Now the funny thing about it is, David did not have a sword. He, his words were a sword. I'm going to cut your head off. What a powerful declaration. So he, he uses his little stone and his slingshot, and he knocks the big giant down, who had been taunting, is the army of Israel, gods of people, and then he borrows a sword. He didn't have a sword when he declared he's going to kill him with a sword. He borrows his enemy's sword, Goliath's sword, and he finishes the job. This is the same God we have. He is so willing. He is so available. And he is so present with us as we slay our giants. Now, I've told you a few of my giants. What are your giants? What lies have you believed? And what truths can you declare instead? Let me pray for you. Oh, Father God, may this lesson from your word, your powerful word, have great impact on every single one today. Bless us as we go to our tables. Thank you for your powerful word. Amen. In Jesus' name. Amen.